This is an ABC podcast. There's a worldwide shortage of teachers at the moment. So what's going on in the classroom and schoolyards? Every teacher that I talk with every day is feeling this weight of expectation, of feeling like they're not enough. What needs to change about the working lives of teachers? Every student needs to be seen as an individual. If you have 150 of them in any one year, that mental load, that emotional load that Meg talked about, is astronomical. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and in this episode of This Working Life, we meet a bunch of teachers and former teachers. What's it like to be a teacher these days? What are the pressures, and what's driving them out of the profession? My name's Ryan Johnston. I have been teaching for 21 years, and this is the first year that I've had out of the profession. Good morning, Mr. Johnston. Yeah, oh, what? That's that right. just came out of me, sorry. That's right. Um, sometimes Mr. Johnston, sometimes Mr. J. One year I actually got J Dog, so that was pretty cool. Oh, um, pinnacle. Ryan, what is the main pressure that you've faced as a teacher? just not being able to fit everything in. I'm an English teacher, so on top of the preparation and the reading, there's that work that you take home with you. Over 21 years, that never got any easier. I never got faster at marking essays. I got it down to about, you know, the minimum I thought you could probably get it to within the first couple of years, and then that was it. And what type of hours were you working? A lot of my friends were shocked when I would say 70 hours a week. I mean, I'd start my day at 7am. I usually would finish somewhere around about 7pm or I would have had a break and then I'd go back to it after dinner from, say, you know, 8 to 10-ish. I would always work on the weekends as well and certainly during the holidays I wasn't, you know, lying on a lilo in the sun and working on my tan. And you've mentioned the marking, but there's also the student attention that was required. I sort of firmly believe that one of the biggest challenges that we're facing as teachers now is the ever-increasing expectation that every student is seen as an individual and it's an entirely reasonable expectation. You know, every parent wants their child to be seen as an individual. But I think things have definitely changed in the 21 years since I've been teaching. It's moved in that direction really significantly and what hasn't moved is, you know, class sizes or the amount of time that teachers are being given to consider all of those students at the individual level. So what happened at the end of last year for you, Brian? I'm lucky that I have a beautiful partner who was able to present the opportunity to me, essentially, (laughs) to suggest, why don't you take some time off? You've worked incredibly hard for 21 years. Why don't you do it now? It seems like the right time for you. And by that, he possibly meant that you look completely exhausted. And, you know, bless him. Um, he sounds very skilled. Yeah. Well, he's a lawyer. He, he works very well um, with the English language. And uh, I, I think it didn't take me long to actually latch on to that, that prospect. As much as I love my job, it seemed like a pretty seductive proposition. Um, It had been a really tough two years, as every teacher out there knows, as most people on the planet know, and it just felt like the right time for me. Having said that, I've been spending the second half of this year feeling guilty about all of this discussion about teacher crisis, um, teacher shortage crisis, etc. So I'm kind of very much enjoying my time off, but also feeling a little bit guilty about (laughs) the need to be helping my profession where I can. Were you burnt out, Ryan? Yes, absolutely. I think probably halfway through the second year of COVID, so halfway through last year, it really hit me 
that I'd been sort of in survival mode for a long time. The lockdowns, of course, you know, Victoria having that wonderful mantle of uh, longest lockdown city in the world. I really felt it keenly in an English department where so much of what we do in the classroom is built around discussion, interaction. We really felt as an English team at our school the, the struggle to connect to students in a meaningful and empathetic way through Zoom. So that gradually just wore everybody down. You know, we lost all of the benefits of the classroom. It kind of felt to me like we'd lost pretty much all of the joy of the profession, but we'd maintained the burden, the really excessive work hours, et cetera. None of that changed. So it was pretty tough. Meg Durham quit teaching five years ago to focus on improving the health of teachers. She saw a gaping hole and is working hard to plug it. Meg coaches teachers around Australia and has a pretty good idea about what's driving teachers out of the classroom. All I ever wanted to be was a teacher. I just wanted to be a teacher. I played schools as I made my <laughs> way through school. I just wanted to be a teacher and I studied my undergrad and I still remember the night before my very first class. Well, this is it. I've made it. I've finally become a teacher. Some people want gold medals. I just wanted a class list. And I still remember that first week when I walked in and realising how unprepared I was for the job. I was really trained for the content <laughs> and I knew my content, but I didn't know the context. So I taught for nearly 10 years in schools in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. And then I moved into the wellbeing space of teachers and supporting teachers because I believe if young people are to be well, to thrive, we really need to support the adults that care for them. So that dream that you had, you walked away from that. Why did you walk away from that? For me, it was the emotional load. It was the load of so many young people's hearts. Like you f we were working with these hearts and we weren't trained to work with them. We were trained to work with the brain, the mind, the academics. And so I got really passionate about how can we support young people? How can we give them the skills to navigate the ups and downs? And for me, that meant leaving the classroom so I could learn skills. I went to study my master's in student wellbeing. And that opened me up to this whole range of skills that we can teach our young people. And then I got curious to think about why aren't we teaching our teachers these skills? Mm. And now how can I teach teachers? So my classroom has changed now and I work with lots of different teachers around Australia. And what are you finding? It is that emotional load. You know, for so many teachers at night, they're thinking about their students. They're thinking about what's going on for them. When a teacher walks into a classroom, they're not just looking at that student at face value. They're thinking about, I know that student's got parents going through a divorce. I know that that student, their bunny just died last night and I got the email. I know that student has learning difficulties. I know that student's really struggling at the moment. They're seeing all of this invisible work and it's hard. It is so, so hard. You've heard Ryan's story. Um, what's your reaction to what he's been sharing? A part of me, my heart aches because it's so true. Every teacher that I talk with every day is feeling this weight of expectation, of feeling like they're not enough, they're not doing enough. I was talking with a beautiful teacher yesterday in Tamworth and we sat down, it was 3.30, we're on Zoom, I can see you're a beautiful classroom. And she said, oh Meg, I've had nothing, I've got nothing done today. Nothing done. I said, well, how many classes have you taught? She said, well, three. I'm like, 
three 80-minute classes, that is a lot. You've got a lot done, but unfortunately, in the way that teaching's set up now, is it feels like that's not enough. Teaching is a little bit, it's all the other administration, all the documentation. Even when you look at a band-aid, you think, oh, no, I have to fill a form about this. There's so much. Meg, for those of us outside the profession, it seems like pay has been the focus over the years. I think that what many of us parents think that teacher shortage is about is about pay, but it does sound like there's way more to this now. Way more. So we've talked a little bit about the emotional load, but the other part that we're really struggling with in schools is the engagement with students because the last few years we have been remote learning and so many teachers have felt like they've had to be a circus performer just to get people off mute and to see screens. And so now coming back into the classroom, it is really hard to get students engaged. And I know this is not just a school thing. This is also at university. I was talking to a professor at Stanford just last week in a psychiatry and addictions unit. And she said, Meg, I feel like I have to do backflips and handstands just to get my medical students to come because they could watch me on double time having a latte on their phone. Right. Is there something wrong with that? No. (laughs) So it's so hard to get kids engaged. So so we're working so hard to get engagement. We're so worried about their emotional and social needs. It is tough. Ryan? Your point about pay, it's not necessarily that teachers wouldn't like more money. Who wouldn't like more money? But I think to get to the nub of the issue, we really need to consider that what they would probably love more than anything, because what they care about most is their students, is enough time and a reasonable number of students that they are able to manage within the context of a normal working day. If you think about a full-time secondary I'll just go with English teacher because that's my experience. You would have somewhere between 100 and 130 students, sometimes up to 150 students in any one year. If you've got five classes and they're all middle school classes, you've got potentially 26, 28, sometimes even 30 kids in each of those classes. In an age where every student needs to be seen as an individual, if you have 150 of them in any one year, that mental load, that emotional load that Meg talked about is astronomical. You are thinking about every one of those kids every night when you go home and you are knowing every day that you haven't spent enough time with any number of them. And it's impossible to see 150 kids as individuals. Teaching as a career choice has lost a bit of its shine. Bryony Scott points to how the profession has been unfairly dumped on in recent years. She's principal of Winona Girls on Sydney's Lower North Shore and was previously principal of Roseville College. Bryony says to restore the reputation of teaching, a lot more respect is needed across the board. Just trying to think how long I've been teaching. It was last century that I started. It's a long time now. What is the main pressure that you're seeing around your school and the classroom? I think COVID has probably exacerbated a lot of the pressures that have actually been growing within education now for some time. Uh, When I look at what teachers are expected to do and the level or the quality with which they're expected to do and the fact that you're combining it with a certain type of person, so the kind of people who come into education are usually very committed, they're wanting it to work, they are very motivated to do well and to do well by the people that they're looking after. And it becomes, in one sense, this perfect storm of high expectations, um, high expectations internally but also externally being placed on us. Uh, And so what I'm seeing is just this extraordinary pressure that is coming to bear 
on teachers to be everything for everyone at all times in every context. And you've been quite frank about the way teachers have been treated by politicians in the last few years in particular. It's funny, you know, if it was any other profession, I think in education we're expected to be so polite the whole time and we are accommodating people by nature. I mean, I speak out and it's like, whoa, someone in education's challenging it. And I'm like, yes, and I'm doing it impeccably politely with no swear words. But also (laughs) the point I have is that because we work with children, we get treated as if we're children. And they are two very different things. This is my workplace. This is my career. I have worked very hard for this job. I have uh, spent a lot of time studying. I engage in a lot of ongoing learning. And to have people who know nothing about the profession come in and say, gosh, we should focus on the basics. And I'm like, really? There's a thought, hadn't thought of that. Or or they say, let's do, uh, you know, phonics, not whole word. And I'm like, can you show me the research? Do you actually know what you're saying? And, and anyone who's been in education long enough will go, yes, and I will want to be trained in both and I'm going to use whatever resources I need to use to be able to get to these children. What I find really interesting is the absolute assumption that we basically don't know what we're doing and therefore people who genuinely have no clue somehow have no problem in telling us what to do. And that's what I object to without any swear words, without any tantrum. And yet, It's such a difficult thing for people to comprehend that this is a specialty. This takes years for a good teacher. I mean, to have someone walk out after 21 years, I'm like, I'd like A, Ryan, to reframe this as a gap year or a sabbatical (laughs) (laughs) so that he comes back in. I'm calling it the year of fun employment. My lovely partner has actually said, well, you know, maybe just drop the year bit. You might need more than a year. And I said, sure. It's a period of fun employment. I think there's a lot to be said for that. If you've been teaching for 21 years and you've been taking it seriously, you don't want that kind of wisdom walking out the door. It takes years to refine your craft. It's like polishing a gemstone. It's not going to happen overnight. They have no problem challenging teachers because the assumption is that we're somehow not very bright. And that's the rhetoric in the media and it's the rhetoric amongst, you know, whenever anyone talks about education, it's like, whoa, not very bright. Look at who we're accepting into the profession. And I'm like, have you seen some of the young people coming into teaching? They are phenomenal. They will wipe your guts for garters. Ryan? Oh, look, you've just, Brian, you just made me think about an article that I was reading on the tram on the way in this morning proposing perhaps we could give teachers a 10% pay rise, but let's make them stay at the workplace from eight to five every day of the week and during their school holidays, with the exception of the four weeks that they can have like everybody else, we'll get them to again come into the workplace and do that professional development, do that correction, etc. Particularly in a post-pandemic context, how many workplaces other than Elon Musk's are actually forcing those people to come in and, and to be accountable because essentially the implication there is that we can't be trusted or that we're lazy or that we spend all of our holidays working on that tan that I mentioned earlier. The interesting question there is it's not even a lack of trust. It's like even if you just look at the evidence, so if we could stop confusing or conflating opinion with with evidence or all that is is just wild, reckless speculation. I can do that too. I can walk into a hospital system and go, actually, I think all operating theatres should be painted purple. Next up is Jane Horn. She's at Geelong Grammar and as she nears the end of her teaching career, she reflects on the major changes she's seen in her job. I've been teaching for 39 years 
with a little break to have children. I'm now in my 17th year of actually managing in a boarding context at school as well. Jane, how have you seen teaching change in your 39 years? It's become a lot more parent-focused. Very rarely saw a parent in the early days of teaching. (laughs) They'd often come to a sports event and that was about it. And they certainly wouldn't ring you up on the phone to question what you were doing. That's been a huge change. What's the implication of that, Jane, having more parent involvement? I think they uh, often feel that they need to come and see you immediately. We used to have time to have students go home, have a conversation, maybe things settle down before they perhaps picked up the landline to give you a phone call about something. But now it's instantaneous. So a student will contact their parents fairly quickly on a telephone uh, in their hand and say, this has just happened. And within five minutes, you're not even aware of it. And the parent might be ringing the school saying, I'm not happy about this. And there's no time to just sit with the uncertainty of what's happened or to hear both sides of the story. And and there's a lot of bombing in straight away with no thought for anyone else's feelings or how it might have played out. Very much of the opinion that their child is 100% right and couldn't possibly have done that. And whereas I think when I first started, there was a lot of, oh, they're deserving of that. Of course, they would have done that. And I know as a student myself, I was in a fair bit of trouble. And it, I used to own it, but they don't seem to own it now. It always seems to be someone, oh, the teacher did this or my friend made me do that. And as well as, of course, we have the major, major distractions in classrooms now of computers and mobile phones in classrooms if they happen to be there. Students can only do one thing at a time. So the minute they're disengaged, they can disengage into a whole other world on their computer or into their iPhone and And that's a really challenging thing for anyone in a classroom, that there's always something much more fun to do on a computer than actually perhaps learn something or learn to to write an essay. But the struggle for them is that if they they find it hard, they can default to something else. Many years ago when I first started, they said, oh, I can't do this. Can you help me? I, I need to get this right. So they give up pretty quickly now and they don't necessarily seek support. Jane, what do you think needs to change? There will always only be 24 hours in the day. And they definitely need some allowances for time. And that if teachers keep getting added in more and more, then we can't keep doing more and more. We also need to ensure that the computer use is not 100% focused in the classroom. So engaging other methods of teaching and other ways to inspire students, getting them off campus, getting them out into the, the workforce. Uh, adventure type activities, getting them off campus and into to environments that maybe they can learn that way. And the challenge with that also in teaching is that it takes 15 pieces of paper in triplicate and risk assessments and all the rest of it. And that's nearly as time consuming. And in the end, you think, honestly, it's too hard to take these kids out of this school. It's becoming increasingly difficult to just put a load of kids in a bus and take them off somewhere interesting. It's just time consuming and you have lots of decisions to make and that's incredibly tiring. So teachers and principals are grappling with all of these challenges of modern life that we're throwing at them. What about when you've got the extra complication of being in a rural or regional school? Shannon Tracy is a high school teacher in Northern Victoria. Um, I've currently been teaching for 22 years and this year I'm teaching English, History, Geography, outdoor education and also a fitness class as well. We used to have around 2,500 people living in in, in Kahuna. Um, However, in the last 10 years or so, due to uh, drought and, and other things, a large number of those have moved away. Our population here in Kahuna is is uh, reducing. 
also means that trying to get staff to Kahuna is very, very challenging as well. We've had a chemistry position um, up for nearly 12 months and we cannot get anyone to apply for that. In regards to relief teachers, our CRTs, uh, three of our CRT teachers are former teachers of this school. Two of them are in their 70s and should be getting working on their tan rather than working on their uh, work here. And what's the effect of that on you, Shannon? It leads to burnout. You are asked to take on extra responsibilities, teach extra classes, take those extracurricular things that otherwise you wouldn't have to. Another thing there too is you're having staff teaching different subjects, potentially teaching different subjects every year, which means they're not getting that continuity that then means additional planning, um, learning the subject if they're not used to that subject before, if it's not in their speciality. So as you can see, it's, it has that snowball effect and not really appealing to sort of stay in the profession if you're constantly having to reinvent the wheel every year. Shannon, you actually did uh, a program that Meg Durham, who's here in Melbourne, um, uh, conducted. Meg works with educators to improve their overall mental and physical health. She has a podcast too called The School of Wellbeing. Why did you feel like you needed to do it and how did it help? Firstly, if I hadn't completed Meg's program, I would not be here. Um, Meg's, Meg's program was amazing for me. I really struggled with COVID. The isolation, the, um, the online classes, it was, it was horrible. And, and I've been able to apply most of the things she, she taught me and I'm in a much better position than I was um, during COVID. What's one thing that you learnt that was really useful? It's probably actually allowing myself time just to try and rest. You feel like you're always at everyone's beck and call and you must get those essays corrected. You must get your planning done. And yes, you do. You have to get it done, but you have to allow yourself just time for yourself. Meg, you've been listening to Brony, Shannon, Jane and Ryan. What are your reflections at this point? How incredible are teachers? Honestly, what they do every single day it just gives me chills sitting here hearing these stories and just highlighting that people that come into teaching, they have got the biggest hearts. And so they put a lot of internal pressure on themselves. They put this pressure on themselves to be perfect, to please everybody, to pretend that everything's fine, to produce at all costs, and then they're performing all day. And so these five Ps really make us feel like we're not enough, that Every time we turn around, someone's telling us, you need to do more, you need to do more, you need to do more. And my message to every teacher listening is, you are doing enough. You are making such an impact. The kids remember how we make them feel. And we can all remember that teacher that made us feel amazing. I became a PE in science teacher because of my year 12 PE in science teachers. Ryan, what do you think needs to change? I think governments just need to understand that they're going to have to take a really hard look at how many students each teacher is asked to be responsible for. Would that get you back into the classroom, Ryan? You know, one of my um, favourite years at the school that I left at the end of last year was the year in which I had half the number of students that I would normally have. And that wasn't because I was seeing fewer <laughs> students exactly. It was because I was able to manage the experiences of those students so much more effectively. They were happier, I was happier and their results were outstanding at the end of that year just because of the happy accident of me having a number of quite small classes. I just want to, would love to talk about the, what keeps you in teaching. Some, just every single day I make a difference and I think that's really an honour and a privilege for me. Um, regaining the respect or being actually seen as a respectful profession. I thought we were going to get some way 
towards that after COVID, particularly when you get all parents saying, you know, what great job teachers do. But it seems that that's not really happened. Um, so just an extension of that is reconnecting our parents and students to school. And then also from a, from a student point of view, I guess parents as well, increasing accountability as well. So with that, we, we sometimes say that uh, we sort of give students the breathing award. They turn up, they breathe and they pass. That, you know, isn't always a good thing. It's not setting them up for life. Yeah, I think highlighting the impact that we have every single day, it can go unacknowledged, but every day teachers will make a move that they will forget about. And then a student will come back to you 10, 20 years later and say, remember that time? And you're thinking, (laughs) I don't know what I said, what I was doing, but they remember those micro moments. That was Meg Durham. And we heard from Bryony Scott, Ryan Johnston, Shannon Tracy and Jane Horn. We made this episode on the lands of the Gadigal and Wiradjuri people. This Working Life is produced by Sarah Allerly. <laughs> she's realised she's been one of those parents and she has sent far fewer emails to her daughter's teachers since making this show. I'm Lisa Leong and until next time, love your work. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.